Okay, I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 5. So we're in the book of Daniel still, Daniel chapter 5. And then we've got Daniel chapter 6. And then we move into chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Interesting chapters on apocalyptic language. So I'm hoping preaching through Daniel is going to help me teach through the book of Revelation and eventually preach through the book of Revelation. Like William said, all scripture is God breathed and it's important for us to not bring our own opinions, our own ideas, man-centered ideas, but to bring God's word and do it faithfully. Okay, Daniel chapter 5 starting at verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are the Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kinship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would... He killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honoured. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mena, Mena, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mena, 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought you to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him. And he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 60 years old. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have the sacred holy scriptures before us. Thank you that your word is a living word. It's alive and it's a double-edged sword to pierce through marrow and bone, to convict us of our sin and to, and to help us and train us in righteousness. But it's also there to humble us, to warn us. So I thank you for this passage, Father. Help me now to be clear and understood. Help us to listen. You've given us ears to listen. Even James says, quick to listen, slow to talk and slow to become angry. So help us to listen, Father. Help us to put away our own assumptions and, and own opinions and just hear what your word has to say. And if we want to be wise, be like the Bereans and go search the scriptures to see what I preach and say is the truth and according to scripture. But help me now, Father, and help us. Grow us in your word so we may use your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we may stand on your word and be the salt and light that you've called us to be. Help us to love you more than any silver or gold, Father. Be merciful, be gracious to all of us, including me. Pray and this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to continue in Daniel chapter 5, and we're looking at God rules life and death. And hopefully we're looking at God rules, basically. We've seen God rules humanity. We've seen God rules the good and the bad. We've seen that God rules life and death. And this morning we want to continue with this and we want to look at death. Because this is the second thing we want to look at. We want to see that God is sovereign over death and He rules death. But the question I put forward to us again, do we believe that God rules life and death? Do we believe that? Well, who do we think rules life and death? Who brings us into this world, gives us life, and who takes us out of this world and gives us death? The non-Christian obviously thinks that life belongs to himself or themselves, and they can do with their lives as they please, and when their body dies, life is over. Unfortunately, some Christians also think that. And it's sad when we have the Scriptures and, and Christians say things contrary to the Scriptures. All what it tells me is they're not reading the sacred Scriptures. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. They're not taking advantage of that word profitable. It's amazing that you hear Christians and, and non-Christians, especially non-Christians, who say when someone dies, well, at least he or she is in a better place. Rest in peace. 
I can understand a non-Christian saying, rest in peace. But when a Christian says, rest in peace, and they're not sure where someone goes, it's contrary to Scripture. And when a non-Christian or an unbeliever says, rest in peace, we know that there is no peace in hell. Rich man and Lazarus. The rich man reached out to, 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 to the, 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 the guy and he said, please go tell my other brothers about this. I'm in torment. I'm in anguish in this flame. There is no rest in health. There is no rest. There's only rest those who die and go into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when they die. And there is no better place for a, Christian, for a non-Christian to say there is a better place. How do they know where this better place is? How do they know how to get there? If God is God, life and death belong to Him. God created every life. We read that in Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the mighty gives me life. God gives life to everybody. Christian, non-Christian. But to the Christian, God gives us eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the life to treasure. Eternal life. God is the one that created every soul. He holds life and death in the palm of his hand. And God decides when life comes into this world and he decides when life ends, when death happens. Scripture affirms this. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. God kills, God brings death, and God keeps alive, God rules life. And we need to know that as Christians. As a Christian, you will die in God's hands, and you'll go to heaven. As a non-Christian, you will die in Satan's hands, and you will go to hell. There are only two places we can go to. There's eternal judgment, that's one reality, and then there's eternal life is the other reality. Eternal judgment is hell and eternal life is heaven. And this is what scriptures say. Do you think it's easy to say this? No, but it needs to be said. We need to speak the truth in love to people. They need to hear the truth. When Daniel comes to the interpretation of the writing, he doesn't sit there and say, okay, Tim, wow, I don't know how to tell you this. And he could have lied. Because his head is on the block. If the king doesn't like what he said, the king can say, well, that's it, you go. We're going to execute you. Don't like what you've said. But today, pastors, teachers, people like to tickle people's ears. Not Daniel. He speaks the truth in love. And we have a message of truth to take to the people, which is a matter of life and death. And we need to speak it truthfully. But let's quickly recap our second, our first thing that we looked at last week that shows us that God rules life and death. And the first thing that we looked at last week was God rules life. And we saw that in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 5, sorry, verses 1 to 16. And we started off by saying, there it is, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. There, King Belshazzar is having a great party 
a celebration with food and wine and there's dancing. And for that to have happened, we said that Belshazzar had to be born. Someone had to have brought Belshazzar into this life. And God did. Because we read that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. And it's so beautiful when a Christian acknowledges that. And we can understand a non-Christian won't acknowledge that. They won't give glory to God. They will say, well, it just happens in the womb by chance. The psalmist knows that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. Life is a gift. And God made us and owns every life. He even owns Belshazzar. He even owns every unbeliever out there. Because they're created in His image. But we know because of sin, that image is marred. It's like a mist until you repent and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the image is a lot clearer. How we need to live. God's purpose for us is to glorify Him and honor Him in everything. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. And yeah, Belshazzar is not at all showing any respect to God. He's actually arrogant and disrespectful. He profanes those things that are sacred and precious, like the vessels from the Lord's house. He uses them at the feast for drinking goblets. And basically, they worship their gods made out of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It's quite sad when, when people have no idea that they are actually a blaspheming God when they give credit to other gods. And religious people must be careful as well. They say one thing on a Sunday in church and they say blah, 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 other things during the week. And they forget about God. Belshazzar should have learned from his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, how to respect God. Because in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar said once to all the nations, give respect to the God of the Jews. And then he himself, King Nebuchadnezzar, praised God for his sovereignty and his greatness. Belshazzar grew up in a family with a dad that respected the God of Israel. But it made no difference. What about us? Do we respect God, our Father, and His Word? Do we respect God during the week? Do we honor Him as we go out there? Do the churches, when, they, when we meet on a Sunday, when, when Paul wrote to, to Timothy in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Are we showing respect in the household of God on a Sunday, which is the church of the living God? Do we, do we open this book, the Bible, the sacred scriptures, with fear and trepidation? And do we honor God in how we speak it back into the congregation? A lot of men will stand up this morning and they will just share their opinion. And they will say what they want to say and they will tickle the ears of the congregation. 
I'll even bring some humor in and make fun of the scriptures. When you make fun of the scriptures, you're making fun of the author of the scriptures. And that's God. You're showing disrespect, dishonor. Belshazzar has no respect. And, and, and it's just as soon as he's done this, suddenly this writing appears on the wall. It's amazing that God, who gives life, is giving a warning to Belshazzar. He's, giving, he's been gracious and merciful and giving him an opportunity to, to repent. But this man, Belshazzar, was totally terrified by the experience of a revelation by God. And when his wise men couldn't interpret the writing, he was left pale-faced because his lords did not know what to do. Belshazzar was totally undone. He was full of terror. You can go listen to last week's sermon and get more in-depth of what I said in my first thing. <coughs> Scripture is there to not, not only build us up in Christ Jesus, but it's also there to warn us. To warn us so we walk closely and humbly with God. We must be aware that we have no excuse as a Christian when we stand before God. There's no ifs, but, God, but if. Yeah, is God. We has revealed himself, disclosed himself. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We have no excuse not to know the truth. Not to know what God's will is for us. I'm not talking about what to do in your own life. I'm talking about God's will for us as a Christian. God's will is for us to know him. Be spirit-filled, word-filled, and love him and love our neighbor. That is God's will for us. And he is the one that will judge us. How often we actually pick up the word and read it. Belshazzar is warned by God, who is the ruler of life, but ignores it and ignores the fact that God rules life. But let's look now at our second thing. And the second thing we're going to look at is to know that God rules, to know that God rules life and death is death. And we see that worked out in Daniel chapter 5, verses 16 to 31. Just reading around and getting some scriptures just to refresh us. And I know I refreshed us with, with life, but you'll see where this is going. God rules death. We must believe us as Christians. We must believe that. God rules death. God is the author of life. You can read that in Zechariah 12.1. The oracles of the word of the Lord concerning Israel thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. God is the agent. Agent. God is the agent of every deliverance from death. Psalm 68.20 says, Our God is a God of salvation and to God the Lord belongs deliverance from death. God is the one who decides the length of every lifetime. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. Our days are numbered. We come into this world naked and we leave naked. And then, the last one, God decides the moment of every death. And you can go read Job 121. 
And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave life, and the Lord has taken away life. He's talking about his family, his servants. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God rules life, and God rules death. Just to, just to, just to help us to, to know something. It's sad when Christians will say, when there are natural disasters like earthquakes, tsunamis, that God had nothing to do with it, especially when hundreds and thousands of people are killed. They'll say God had nothing to do with it. Well, we must know that God rules over deadly catastrophes. And they are part of His providence. That they are in the control of His wise and just and good and purposeful sovereignty, someone said. God rules death. And if you don't want to believe that, then you go back to Job and read Job 1 and 2 and see what happened to his children who were killed by a natural disaster. A great wind blew the house down and killed his children. And what does Job say? No, God had nothing to do with it. It was all Satan. In one sense it's true, but God did have something to do with it because God is sovereign over Satan. If God wasn't, I wouldn't be standing here. I would not want to worship a God that is not totally sovereign over everything. Both good and evil, both life and death. What does Job say? Well, I read it earlier on. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave me life, and he gave me children, and the Lord has taken away, he has brought death, and taken away my children. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will continue worshipping the God who rules life and death. And if you're reading our Bibles, we'll read that God takes human life, God rules death. you just got to read. Read through the Old Testament and you will see. Just a quick note here, and I think it's important, because maybe you're asking, how did death come into this world? Death is an enemy. We know Christ has defeated death. He's overturned death in the grave. There's no more sting in death. It's been destroyed in Christ for the Christian. Death came into the world basically from the fall. The fall of humanity and the sin of Adam, and so death entered the world. And since the fall, every human being is under the condemnation of death. Scripture says, in Adam all die. Death in Adam, that's it. But we know as Christians, in Christ Jesus, all live. There's life in Christ Jesus. There's eternal life. And since the fall of death is not a surprise, and it's not merely an aspect of nature, it's God's judgment. Death is God's judgment. And this is what we see coming upon Belshazzar's life. We come back to Belshazzar. God's judgment is coming upon him. Death is staring Belshazzar in the face. He thinks he's safe. When he was throwing that party, he had 300 foot walls surrounded by the walls and outside were the Medes and the Persians ready to conquer. He thinks, no, he's safe. He's fine. No one can touch me. Yes, God is all seen, all known, all powerful, can supernaturally touch him. Which happens. 
He thinks he's safe, but he doesn't realize he is treading on dangerous ground. But before God brings death into his life, God shows love and mercy and grace. He gives Belshazzar an opportunity to humble himself. It's amazing that, that how he, in verses 13, how he speaks to Daniel. He knows who Daniel is. Okay, he's kind of been reminded by his mother, the queen. But in the way he addresses Daniel, you are that Daniel. Disrespect to Daniel. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Well, they were all looked down upon. And there he's just trying to disrespect Daniel. And he tells him what he's heard. But then he says to him, Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He bribes him. This is what is before you. If you tell me the interpretation, this is all yours. And you'll be third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel says, says no. I'm not interested in your gifts. You can keep them and give them or you can reward them with someone else. And it's sad today that there are many pastors that would have jumped to Belshazzar. Yes, please, I want all these gifts. And I say this sensitively and in love. Today, there are pastors, reverends, ministers who are milking their congregation for finances. The prosperity gospel is a lie and an abomination. It's anathema. Because they are taking advantage of the flock to make their living successful and prosperous. Can I tell you one thing from the scriptures? And you can go and search them. God has never promised us success and prosperity in the Gospels. He's promised us suffering. That I can tell you. But He's never promised me I'm going to have a big church and I'm going to have a successful church. He's never promised me that. But he's promised me there's a reward waiting for me if you remain faithful and are found trustworthy with the preaching and teaching of the sacred scriptures, which are mine, not yours, Mark. I know that. That's a promise. So we must be careful. There are, there are Christians that love God and believe God only because they want to get prosperity and success out of God for their own lives. And when they do, they push God aside because pride comes in. Look at the kings. They started off worshipping God, trusting God, and as soon as they became powerful and mighty, they become corrupt. Why? Because pride steps in and takes over. Look what I've done. Look at all my horses and all my men. But it's not by their might or by their power. It's by the Holy Spirit. And Paul warns us. He warns all of us. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. See that? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. There's many kinds of evils that money 
does. It breaks marriages, it breaks up parenting, it destroys businesses, it does all kinds of evils when you put love before something. And especially money. There's nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with money. You can make a profit, you can build a nice home, drive nice cars as Christians, but as long as you don't rob God and His church of what you owe to Him. And that is not 10%. That is giving with a cheerful heart. Giving what God has laid on your heart to give. And you give it cheerfully. And you give it out of poverty, not out of surplus. And he says here, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And what does Daniel do? He pursues righteousness, not riches. His services are not for sale. I think, I think it was John Wesley. John Wesley died. He died with a few pennies in his pocket. All the money that came to him, he just gave it back to churches and to those in need. Because he knew what money could do to his heart and to his love for God. Because God calls us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. And then love our neighbour as ourselves. And as soon as you put love, as soon as something replaces mind strength, then we are falling into showing disrespect and dishonour God. Daniel pursues righteousness. Daniel just wants to honour God. And he says, no, I don't need your gifts. But I want to tell you some history. I want to tell you about your father, this great king. And what he went through, because he would not humble himself before the God of Israel. And he tells him, he gives him some history. And it's a lovely lesson. King Nebuchadnezzar had, had something to be proud about, yet God had to humble him. And Daniel tells him, I'm not going to read it again, you can read it for yourself. And then he says in verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Wow, that is strong words from Daniel, an exile, sharing to a king who could just bring out a sword and wipe him out. But then his life is Daniel's hands. He's in God's hands. He's trusting God. Daniel fears God. And those who fear God lack nothing. He doesn't fear man. He wants to just tell the king the truth because his life depends on it. And that's why when it comes to the interpretation, he tells the king the truth about the interpretation. And we have truth to take to non-believers. We have God's word. We have the gospel of truth to sow into the hearts of people. Because life and death are on the truth. Life and death matter. But as soon as you distort the gospel, as soon as you add your will or take away from it, it doesn't or it's not a gospel anymore. And that's what I love about Paul. Paul was willing to suffer. Paul was willing to put away his pride, his arrogance, his learning, his, his everything. And he says in 1 Corinthians, and this is so important, 
He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news, which is for salvation to all who believe. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. Don't try and be clever in front of the unsaved people. Don't try and tell them and show them how much you know. They're not interested. What you should be interested in is their eternal life. Keep it simple. Because when you bring in your own words and you try and, 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 and hype up the gospel, exaggerate it, then the cross, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's no more gospel. It's no more gospel. And Daniel warns Belshazzar. He says, you know, you, you are that guy. Look what you have done. You've, you've brought before your wives, your concubines, and you've, you've, you've brought the, the sacred vessels that come out of the temple, and you drink wine with them, and at the same time you praise gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, do not hear. They're dumb. They're deaf. They're mute. Be careful. There's a saying that what someone's written a book, you become what you worship. You become what you worship. But then Daniel says to him, but the God, he says, yeah, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. The only reason why Brendan is breathing. The only reason why Pietro is breathing. Because God is allowing you to breathe. In God whose hands is your breath. God is allowing me to stand here this morning and preach. My breath is in His hands. My life is in His hands. I think of... Um, it, it, it's, it was... Um, King Herod, and um, I think it's Acts 12. The death of Herod. And on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Took away his breath. Struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms. And breathed his last. Our breath is in God's hands. Do you thank him? Every night you go to bed for sparing you. When you wake up in the morning, do you thank him for sparing you? Because he can take that breath away from you, as he wills. Because life is in his, his hands, and he brought you in as a child, as a gift. Our children are a gift from God, and he does as he pleases. And Daniel warns Belshazzar. He tells him the dream. He tells him the interpretation the writing on the wall, sorry. And he gives him the interpretation. Mina, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes 
and Persians. And I'm, great. I'm quite sure Belshazzar thought, okay, maybe in 15, 20 years' time. I'm safe. I'm behind these 300-foot walls. No one's coming in. No one's going to take me. I'm the king, the most powerful king in the empire. But no, that same night, while they were eating, drinking and feasting, the king was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom. And what a warning. God warns us. What a warning. God explains to us in the scriptures. He's told us our days are numbered. He gives Belshazzar a, a chance to, to humble himself. But no, he doesn't want to humble himself. And we must be remember that Jesus warns us in Matthew 7. Um, Matthew 7, we also have warnings. And I think sometimes I know... I'm still trying to get my mind around this. When I read this, do I really read it and, 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 and tremble? Or do I just read it blasé? No one who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast our demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And he's writing to Christians that say they're Christians, but they live a completely different life. They live a life that is on the broad road. Enter, the, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. They're on the wide gate, thinking that their life is just going to go until they're 75, 80. They can do as they please until God takes their breath away. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. We must stop making out that the Christian life is easy. It's not. It's hard. We need God's grace every day. We need God's word to encourage us and strengthen us every day. God has not promised us peace, and He's not promised us um, success and prosperity. He has promised us one thing, and that's suffering. I suffered, you will suffer. And the suffering is for a good purpose. The suffering brings Him glory and honour. It grows us. It shapes us and moulds us more into Christ-likeness. And when God kills someone like Belshazzar, it's not that God looks down and He's a killjoy God. There's purpose and reason, because when Belshazzar is gone... Darius is put in charge to govern Babylon by his king Cyrus, the Persian king. And what does God do with the Persian king Cyrus? He uses Cyrus to take all the exiles back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem. What a great God. And God has said those, those pagan kings and those nations will be punished for what they did to Israel. And, and Babylon was punished. Because Babylon was the one that took the, the Jews, Jerusalem and Judah, out of Jerusalem. And 70 years later, he returns them. I think, I, think, um, I stand to correction here. Um, Daniel's probably in his 80s here. 80 years old. He's lived through the 70 years to see this. Oh, he's going to see it. When he goes into the lion's den, Daniel's not a 16, 17, 20 year old. He's, he's in his 80s. 
Average 75, 82. He's an old man. Ready to die for his God. And we'll look at, Lord willing, that next Sunday. But whose hands are you going to die in? God rules life and death. Do you allow God to rule the life in your life? He brought you into the world as a Christian. He's given you eternal life. Will you die in his hands or will you die in Satan's hands? And hopefully these two things that we've looked at, to believe that God rules life and death. We know God rules life and he does. We know that God rules death and he does. But will we believe that God rules life and death? Will we submit and know that through the one man Adam came death and through the one man Jesus Christ came life? I'm talking eternal life. God gave us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to overturn death. His blood was shed on the cross for forgiveness of sins. He rose from the grave, according to the scriptures, on the third day. He did not go into corruption or decay. He conquered death by being raised from the dead. And we can face death. Like I said last week, why don't we talk about death like we talk about rugby and cricket? Why is it a taboo? Why do we run from death or the subject? It is such a beautiful subject. You have to talk about death because when you talk about your, 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 your children, about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't say the Lord Jesus Christ passed away on the cross, he lost on the cross. You, how, do you, how do you bring those words? How do we bring psychological words? Christ Jesus died a terrible death on the cross. Death is real. Don't play down to your children because they can die well one day instead of dying miserably sometimes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you rule life and death. Thank you that you've given us eternal life through your Son, Christ Jesus, that we no longer ourselves we're a temple of god and we'd be bought with the precious blood of christ and help us to live godly lives father help us to allow to, help us to take our lives seriously so we can honor and reflect your glory into the lives of people but thank you father that you rule life thank you for bringing us into this world as your children thank you that you save us thank you father have mercy upon us but help us also see that you not only bring life and rule life, you also bring death and rule death. And help us to see that. Help us to see that our days are numbered. But help us to see that while we live, we have the truth. And help us to take this truth to the lives of people. Just like Daniel spoke the truth to Belshazzar. He did not mince his words. He did not exaggerate his words he told him in plain english what the writing said on the wall help us father help us not to be like daniel but help us to worship the same god that daniel did faithfully and humbly give us the wisdom to do that father but thank you father that life and death are in your hands and we know from scripture that no one can take away your love because it's been given to us in christ jesus and sealed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to look to you and to trust you with our lives. And one day when we face death, pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.